the time that I have spent in front of my class teacher or school teacher or uh, even the school principal when you are called for an admonishment and uh, sometimes it's not easy facing even one of them. Here facing about 55, 60 of you who are uh, eminent uh, teachers and scholars, uh, indeed uh, in some way gives me goosebumps. Uh, time to give back to the society, as they say. And of course, uh, the session that I intend sharing, normally all my sessions, I make it as much interactive and uh, uh, fun-based as possible to ensure that uh, not only you get to fill uh, your knowledge boxes a bit, but also uh, remember the session for uh, being something of uh, value. Because as one uh, eminent speaker uh, mentioned, after 15, 30, 40 days, people may not remember what you spoke, but they will surely remember how you spoke. So the key is to make it fun at the same time, give you a lot of insights on the topic that has been assigned to me today. Uh, without much ado, I want to start playing one short video to set the context to this uh, topic of regulation of uh, mind and uh, maintaining calmness or enjoying calmness. Let me share. One second. I'm Kevin Peterson, and this is Blindfold Cricket. Right, let's get going. Can I hear one first, please? No, no. <laughs> You're never hitting that. Wow. All right. I'll be all right. You ready? Right, I'm ready when you are. Right, coming now. <laughs> that is massive. Ready? <laughs> Brian, should I crank it up? Yeah, crank it up massively. Crank it up. Crank it up as fast as you want, buddy. Coming up. Oh, my days. We are never nearing the end of it. Coming down now. There we go. That's it. That's it. That's going to be joking. Oh, that's going to cost you. Okay, uh, this is just to set the base for the topic that I've taken. For those who are not familiar with the game of cricket, the person that you saw actually playing those shots blindfold is a former England uh, cricket player called Kevin Peterson. Uh, those who know cricket reasonably well 
he was uh, facing a bowling machine where the balls were being shot at him at 100 kilometers per hour or even higher. Even uh, for those who are uh, quite good at playing cricket, when a bowling machine is throwing the balls at you, with, even with your eyes open, it's not many times even easy to middle the ball. But with his eyes closed, blindfold, uh, he was able to play those shots uh, with uh, such audacity and uh, with such uh, precision. And in fact, if you remember, uh, if you recall, the last shot that he played was what we call as a switch hit where a right-hand batsman changes the strands and plays uh, as a left-hand batsman or vice versa. And apparently he did it with so much of aplomb, but uh, how many of us really know how it connects to the topic that we are into? We are uh, uh, talking about regulation of mind and experiencing calmness. Before we move deeper into this, I want to set the base with this video. Uh, would the participants mind getting into the chat box and just share what did you observe as the connection between the video that you saw and uh, the topic that we have taken up for uh, today. Uh, take take to the chat box what do you have uh, observed from this video and how it connects back to the topic. Please feel free to ping in the chat box. I'm waiting for your comments. Focus, still mind with crystal clear perception. The mind is calm, then only the person can connect the ball and bat blindfolded. Practice makes man perfect. Okay. Experience. Precision. Anything is possible if we regulate our mind and have inner peace. Concentration of the player. Mr. Ranjit says that Dr. Naidu says visualization, excellent point, concentration, dedication. Can we have a few more responses? Ability of mind to predict without depending too much on visual. If a person is mentally at peace, he can focus on his goal. Okay. Okay, any other uh, views that are likely to come up here? Okay, let me let me ask a question here. Let me uh, just uh, share my screen one second. If you look at uh, the construct of the mind, how do you think the mind is constructed? Can you just take it to the chat box and share uh, what is mind? How is the mind constructed? Many of us have uh, kept hearing about this so often, but how many of us have thought through to find? Uh, would you mind just getting into the chat box and what are the construct? What is mind and what are the construct of the mind? Uh, People are still answering for the earlier question, I suppose. Uh, can we move to the current question on the screen? What are the construct of the mind? Or what is mind itself? How is the mind constructed? Has the question, yeah, correlates with various, it's still with the earlier uh, 
mind is not stable by practice it can construct conscious and subconscious good feelings construct of the mind is about feelings is what gyana bharati says anyone else uh, i want to make it as interactive as possible because i don't want to just make it a one way uh, session our ability to think says mr tb shridharan okay since there are not too many responses what i would do is i will play another video on what the construct of the mind is and then let's see how it connects back to the topic uh, that we are into one second you speak a lot about consciousness yeah. and i'd love to hear what consciousness means to you and how through our meditation practice we can get closer to consciousness <laughs> i like to give stupid examples to convey my points i don't know if you have seen mule or a donkey yes and, okay i used have you read any horse uh-huh. okay there are types of horses i mean there are horses you sit on trying to ride you kick and you hit still they won't move they're like mules right they, they won't move you keep pushing them they won't move okay there are horses where you just sit and they you just click and they they run see and there are horses where you just they see the shadow of your whip we have not even touched it you have just raised it and they just charge on see now what is the difference in this consciousness of an animal horse there are children you know who open the door drunk they wake up from their sleep there are children you shake them like hell <laughs> they know those kids <laughs> you know they don't wake up that is the difference of consciousness i mean you know you have to look around to find out what is the difference but purpose of all the meditations or purpose of any spiritual practice in the words of swami vivekananda i can tell you that we all have certain degree of awareness certain level of consciousness of which we use hardly 8% or 10% maximum 12% in cases like albert einstein right right the giant scientist but not all can be of his level but through meditation swami ji says that available consciousness that we have which is so limited through meditation we can soar higher into the sky of super consciousness through meditation and we are able to dive deeper into the deepest level of subconsciousness through yoga nindra so you are able to expand the thin film of consciousness which is sandwiched between two giant oceans and we are able to successfully expand our available consciousness to super consciousness and dive deeper into subconscious now often you know we have this problem a modern day disease sleep problem so number one perhaps a uh, lot of people they take pills they have some other methods also with meditation it becomes very simple act you just close your eyes and you are gone yeah <laughs> <laughs> and if, suppose 
at times, you're not going to fall asleep at all for two hours, three hours. It happens sometimes. But then you'll be happy to meditate. You won't miss the sleep. I take it as a signal the day I am not able to meditate. I will just sit down, close my eyes. It's an opportunity given to me for more meditation. Would you mind going to the chat box to share what you believe you have picked up from this video before I debrief it for you? He gave significant uh, inputs on the construct of the mind. He spoke about consciousness. He spoke about it being a thin layer which connects the superconscious, uh, which is from a higher level to the subconscious, which is part of us. Okay, let me do one thing. We watch this video. If you look at the main constructs of the mind, we are. Uh, We are talking about, uh, see, consciousness is uh, something which you can even say that the level of awareness that you are getting into. And consciousness in some way is also a field, like what mind is. Mind is also in a way a field. Mind is not something which is inside your body. It's not something that is specifically located. Depending upon how you allow this field to play, it can encompass several things. And consciousness is something that is what finally matters to all of us when it comes to regulation of mind. The more conscious you are, the more aware you are, uh, you have a better grasp of the mind, its role. And if you look at the superconscious, which is also considered to be the playground of the divine, uh, this is what Swami Vivekananda has said, this is what our uh, global guide uh, Daji also says. And this is sort of, though... Uh, it's not physically outside of us. We do not always have a way to tap into this. The day we are able to tap into this is when you have uh, revelations. For example, it is said that Vedas, many of the Vedas which were uh, uh, written, were written from a state of superconsciousness. What does it actually mean? At the level of superconsciousness, you are able to reverberate, resonate with the divine which is all encompassing, yet which is not available to us because of the thin film which sort of stops us from moving into the level of superconsciousness, which is what our conscious mind is. The conscious mind obviously is constructed through the interpretation of the five senses that we all use. And the subconscious is something which is again part of us. We are having all these three in us except that uh, very rarely we really even understand uh, the construct of the other two aspects of the mind, which is the superconscious and the subconscious mind. Subconscious, there has been enough researches which has been done by the Western scientists to the extent that today it's an established uh, science. There are ways and means in which you can tap into that. And it is said that 90 to 95% of what you are is not based on your conscious mind, but what is in your subconscious mind. Subconsciousness is also a field where your past in some way is being held so that uh, based on what are your past actions or karma or whatever you want to call, it all in some way forms the part of the subconscious. And superconscious state is something which exists inside us, it exists around us, it exists everywhere. Yet 
because of the thin film that exists uh, between the subconscious and the superconscious, which is your conscious mind. Let's look at why this conscious mind actually stands as a doorkeeper in one way, which does not allow us to uh, get the best out of what the mind is uh, supposed to give us. For example, to regulate the mind, which is one of the questions uh, that has been uh, taken up as part of this topic. Actually, what do you want to regulate out of the three to achieve calmness on all fronts? Is it the superconscious you want to regulate? Is it the subconscious you want to regulate? Or is it the conscious mind that you want to regulate? How are we currently regulating it? How are we currently doing it? If we really look at uh, what we are currently doing, though we, uh, in some way, many of us or a few of us are aware that the subconscious is what actually plays a big part in uh, running our uh, life. Uh, but the focus for many of us is purely on the conscious mind. The conscious mind is the mind that works uh, for you in, a, in, in your awakening state, you can say. Whereas to a great extent, it is fed and regulated by the subconscious mind. Which one would you want to regulate out of these three, given a choice? Though you would want to say you want to regulate the superconscious, you want to regulate or get the best out of the subconscious, all that can happen only through the conscious mind. When you are sleeping, when you say you are either unconscious or in a sleepy state, actually we are not even aware what's happening. There are advanced yogis who make the subconscious work to connect to the superconscious state while they are asleep because the conscious state then does not come between them and the superconscious state because in the conscious state is where we have a lot of challenges. For example, what happens is the conscious state is what gives rise to what we call as biases. Biases are something that none of us can say with certainty that we do not have. All of us have one kind of bias or another. Let me give you a short list of the uh, biases after going to the definition. One of the biases uh, definition, cognitive bias, is something like this. A cognitive bias is an error in cognition. Cognition is your ability to think that arises in a person's line of reasoning. Many times how we understand, this is also the reason why many times we are unable to grasp many of the things because when your conscious mind is aware and it is happening uh, in a way where it acts as a filter between you and the world, what happens is that the conscious mind is looking predominantly from the perspective of uh, logic. Uh, very rarely it's able to go beyond that to look at from the aspect of either feeling or through the other uh, facilities that are accessible to you. And these logics for many of the human being is flawed by personal belief, where the personal belief, instead of just remaining as a belief, becomes actually the base logic through which we start actually looking at the world. Hence, cognitive errors play a major role if you look at uh, behavioral theory worldwide. I have done a lot of study in this area and I have taken a lot of sessions. Whether you are an academician, spiritualist, businessman, investor, everyone is looking at the cognitive errors that people do because this is what actually makes them to run their business successfully or unsuccessfully. Let's uh, say, for example, look at a short list of the top cognitive biases almost all of us have. If you look at the 
cognitive biases. There are several of them. I have just chosen about seven or eight for you to get an idea that even while watching this uh, session, it's impossible for you to suspend the bias. You would still be putting one of these cognitive biases, one or more of the cognitive biases, and then working through that. The first one is what we call as a overconfidence bias. Overconfidence bias comes by a comparative uh, feeling. For example, right now I'm taking a session for you. I'm, I have been put across as an expert by the person who introduced me, uh, Dr. Erilersi. And that gives me a overconfidence bias. I can say whatever I want and I can get away with it. I can, by assumption or by whatever, this gets into it and this acts as a bias because then it stops you from looking at a thing as to what it is. It's like an elephant being seen by five blind men and each one, depending upon how they were uh, seeing it, saw it as something else other than what the elephant, elephant was for. They call it as a wall, they call it as a, you know, a thick uh, rope, they call it as a trunk, but they could never find the elephant, mainly because of the many of the biases that we all have. The second bias that we all have is called as a self-serving bias. Self-serving bias is what creates communities, it's what creates groups, this is what creates uh, uh, people who affiliate with people who are comfortable to them. For example, right now, if you have to ask me a question and if it serves me well to answer in a way that will make me feel better and make me connect with you better, I may go for that answer instead of actually giving the original answer which it's supposed to be, which is what self-serving bias does to us. And then we have the herd mentality bias. If you're all part of a group for a very long time, for example, we all work for one department in a college, or we all take the same subject in a college, or we all stay in the same locality in a city or a town or whatever. What normally happens is the herd mentality then takes over. It's also called as a crowd mentality or the herd mentality. Uh, thanks to COVID, you also find all this, uh, you know, uh, herd immunity concept uh, coming up. Herd mentality bias is okay. My community has said so, so I have to do this. My religious people have said so, hence I have to do it. My uh, professors were all similar thinking with similar background. All of us are from so-and-so institution. Hence, we all have to get together. What happens is it acts as a bias and stops you from actually exploring even beyond your conscious thinking, leave alone the aspect of moving to subconscious or superconscious, even the conscious mind at that point of time, because the herd mentality stops you from going beyond what you are heard or the people who are similar to each other who flock together, as they say so. Then in financial terms, there is something called as a loss aversion bias. When people either look for a job or when they look for employment or they want to do a business or they want to invest somewhere, they all look at not from what is to be done, but they look from avoiding a loss. And this is something which helps, in fact, many of the surprisingly, many of the stock markets and financial markets use the loss aversion bias to sell products to you. How many of us are aware that some of the mutual funds sold to you, some of the gold that is sold to you, some of the stocks that are sold to you, sometimes a house that is sold to you, they'll come and tell you, sir, if you buy six months later, the cost will go by 27%. Instead, if you buy today, so immediately look at a loss aversion bias. You don't look at whether you want to buy or not. You don't do go through the complete logical uh, comparative analysis. You only look at loss aversion. Oh my God, if I had to buy it six months later, anyway, I decided to buy, why pay 27% more? So you are biased by your conscious mind into thinking that this is good for you by going through a loss aversion bias. 
then you got what is known as a narrative fallacy bias if you look at many of the news channels what do they do they package news by putting stories around it which they have researched extensively so that the bias is actually held against you they go what is known as a narrative fallacy they put stories they spin stories to make you accept something or make you reject something when it comes to politics when it comes to uh, election time you will find all this you know the narratives which as they call which the spin masters turn it around will all be done to your taste so that they can influence your vote whether it's cambridge analytica by facebook or through any of the other medium or by false news that is uh, today uh, quite easily available thanks to the social media proliferation and they all package it beautifully the way the video is made the way the story is packaged it's all put in such a way that it suits your taste and then it find it comfortable because it comes and falls on your lap and none of these biases work uh, alone they all work in tandem with others other is called as an anchoring bias okay last six times with this situation this is what happened and hence in future such a data that's how things will happen and they'll put started that's why they say you know Uh, lies white lies and statistics as they say and statistics being the highest form of uh, lies in that sense in that scale anchoring bias is when based on your past experience without actually getting into uh, any kind of analysis we immediately jump to conclusion because okay last six time this specific company launched a product all the time the product was good hence the seventh time the product has to be good it's an anchoring bias what is the guarantee that's why they say you know past performance is not a guarantee for future success we never start from zero whenever we start uh, analyzing or looking at anything for example if you are watching this situation watching this uh, session right now based on any similar topic that you have seen for the last 5 6 7 8 times in the last 5 10 years or whatever your mind will start analyzing it and biases are normally formed because it's quite convenient biases do not take much time biases you don't need to use your brains too much because your brain is already dumped with so much of information from the past bias by default is from the past it's not about future and if you look at the seven confirmation bias see whenever a news is announced we look to our neighbor we look to somebody our relative we look to our parents we look to somebody else who would vouch for our view is correct and you will find in many time even in classrooms when you are taking sessions certain students would group around mainly because there is a confirmation bias that's why you'll find that people who are school toppers or class toppers or college toppers will all flock together because for them getting a confirmation that i am studying properly because i am sitting next to someone who is also studying properly forms a confirmation bias the same is true for the back benchers as well hence what happens is that all these biases act as a the next one is also their uh, representativeness heuristic bias as it's called so a little bit uh, complicated i don't want to get in there right now in terms of explaining what it is by by now what i have shared with you with uh, clarity that i am very sure you would have picked up is that we by nature are tuned to look at anything with a set of filters for example if you are to look at sun with naked eye the color that appears to you would be what sun's color is even that is filtered thanks to the earth's atmosphere and so many things you may not be seeing the exact sun as it is let's assume at least that the naked eye gives you the perfect picture of how sun appears to everyone who is looking at it with a naked eye but the moment you put a 
glass, either it's a green or a tinted glass or a blue or a purple or whatever your choice, it automatically becomes uh, something else. And if you keep on seeing it long enough, in case, for example, they are implanted from the time of your birth, it has been implanted in your eyes. Imagine if you go and tell a person whose eyes have been implanted with the blue glasses, how much of it you tell him that sunlight is not blue? He will just slap you and or he'll laugh at you saying that you are crazy. Many of us might remember the Truman story where one of the famous comedy actors acted, where right from birth his entire life is regulated and it's all actually part of a reality show which is going on. Everyone is watching him and he's made to do certain things because it suits them. And the day he actually finds out, he runs into the sea. And then you'll find that he actually runs into the sea after 10 feet, actually he'll be hitting a wall. Even that construct has been put in such a way that uh, uh, Jim Carrey movie, even that construct is put in such a way that he cannot look. And then he breaks open and then he actually sees the real world. How many of us today are ready to suspend our bias. They always say that whenever it comes to any topic, level on the topic that I've taken, whether it is about regulation of mind or experiencing calmness, uh, the fundamental rule that we always share when it comes to listening, though there are several ways in which listening can be enabled, fundamental uh, way to listen is first for you to suspend all your biases and prejudices. How many of us can do that? The moment I am saying something, you have been conditioned for a very, very, very long time. Though I cannot generalize, I am not saying that all those who are watching are like that, then it becomes a bias from my side. But predominantly based on my experience of meeting thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the last 37 years of my profession, I can say almost with a certainty based on the data points that I have, People find it convenient to listen to things with a set of bias and prejudice because they don't need to worry about processing. They don't need to worry about thinking. People are always looking at, okay, what's next? Yeah. Oh yeah, so what? You said something. A person would be putting their life in sharing something. I might have, I might have spent about five, six hours or even more than two days in preparing for this session of one hour, one and a half hours. Yet, when I'm saying something, if you just put a prejudice or a bias, and then you block it off. It does not even enter your ears. Leave alone gets processed by your brain and mind and whatnot. Imagine what is likely to happen. So when it comes to listening, point number one is your ability to suspend prejudice. And point number two, which is extremely essential, this is what meditators learn to do very fast, with a still mind. Why a still mind? Because when your mind is still, you neither live in the past nor worry about the future. A person's mind is still, he is in the moment. And surprisingly, I was reading an article recently, there are some researchers who have done some work and they found that a moment is roughly about four to five microseconds. That's all that moment is. And if you're able to be in that moment for four to microseconds and continuously be there. In fact, once I was giving a session in a college about seven, eight years back, and uh, it became a, at the end of my talk, it became an interactive session. And one of the students who was a girl asked me, sir, I have so many problems. I'm not able to focus on my studies. So I said, then I wanted to speak at that moment. It just flashed to me that it's about uh, being in the moment. So I asked, what's your problem? 
and she said i had this problem i said no this is not your problem this is about the future you know i had this problem you know this problem is from the past you are talking about something which happened one month back one week but tell me at this moment what is your problem and finally it came down surprisingly all of them in the room after 10 15 minutes we all confirmed uh, came to a conclusion that at best at any point of time max your problem is at this moment i have a day at this moment i have some hunger at this moment i feel thirsty the only a few basic things uh, which can be a problem at any given point of time lack of opportunity lack of job it's a problem into the future it's not a problem at this moment if you are able to look in stilling the mind this is what yogis are good at why are they always come because they are not worried about the future they are not living in the past no point in uh, licking the wounds and uh, oh why it happened to me and things like that no point in worrying what will happen tomorrow what will happen day after what will happen is it uh, difficult not to do yes it is difficult but impossible surely not with a little bit of regulation of the mind you will be able to find that you will be able to look at any situation with as less biases as possible zero bias maybe only god can do but the lesser the bias the better your understanding of the situation including the topic you are touching into and then stilling your mind if you are able to still your mind you are able to get the best out of whatever is happening right now as you are listening to what i am talking you are worried about submitting the attendance you are worried about the introduction the faculty made you have to take a test you have to put 80% attendance in the evening you have to take your wife out or your spouse out somewhere tomorrow you have a doctor's appointment you already done but does it really matter at this moment just because you are thinking about it does it help you to solve technically we all understand it practically can we do we'll come to the towards the end to see what it really whether it's possible whether uh, we can do something about it let me take you to the next one i want to show you one short uh, video before i come back uh, the very interesting video on when you look in a mirror and see yourself and you see like one person when you look in a mirror and see yourself and you see like one person looking back it's that is not true you are made out of 50 trillion cells so you are a community not a single person i will show you the science of actually how the cells work and you will have more knowledge than most doctors in the world today because they still believe in the genes here is the simple truth a gene is a blueprint are you reading the blueprint or are you not reading the blueprint and the gene does not make that decision the gene is read or not read and what do you think controls the signal perception every cell has about 1.4 volts not too much 50 trillion cells in the body times 1.4 volts is 700 trillion volts of electricity in your body right now but your mind is the government for the 50 trillion cells so if you change your thought and your mind you can change the biology and the mind is the primary cause of illness on our planet today 
So you are not the victims of your genes because you can change any of your genes anytime. If you change your perception, you change the reading of your genes. If someone tells you you're going to have a disease and you believe that, then you can create the disease. Perception can rewrite the genetic code. So perception controls life. No two people see the world in the same way. They have different perceptions. And sometimes your perceptions can be right and sometimes your perceptions can be wrong. Since perception controls biology, and since they can be right or wrong, then it's more accurate to say that belief controls biology. What you believe creates your life. On the inside, and on the outside. You're not a victim of your genetics. You are responsible for what unfolds in your life. The placebo effect is when you have a very positive thought that something can heal you, even if it's a sugar pill, but you believe it's the real medicine, then you can heal yourself for that. So the pill didn't heal you, it was the thought that healed you. There is negative thinking and it's called the nocebo effect. And in the same power that positive thinking can heal you, negative thinking can kill you. So if we were growing up and programmed with stronger beliefs, we would be more powerful than we are now. When you are conscious, you can rewrite the instincts, and when you become conscious, you can rewrite the experiences of your life. So that it is important to recognize that what we are not using enough of in our world today is consciousness. Do you mind uh, sharing what are your major thoughts after going through the... See, Bruce Lipton is one of the best uh, considered authors on this uh, topic on the mind and related field. And uh, he wrote a book called The Biology of Belief, which is one of the all-time uh, best reads. It's something that is worth for everyone to take and read if you have not already read. When you watch this video, can you just uh, take the chat box to save share what you felt about it can we have some uh, chat responses please Chat box doesn't seem to open up here. One second. Okay. Being optimistic leads to success. Perception can change. Good. Reality is not objective. Can be altered through subjective perceptions. When we are conscious, we can rewrite the world. Okay.
how many of you are aware how our belief systems uh, build up see we looked at uh, the layers of the construct of the mind the conscious mind uh, being the very thin film which acts as a barrier the day we are able to make it to be in osmosis with the subconscious and the superconscious our consciousness expansion becomes literally unlimited and we are able to enjoy the same divine consciousness that all along was possible only for very few people uh, in uh, in the last 100 200 300 years or so today thanks to various uh, practices that are available about which i'll speak about a little bit later i wanted to look and ask this uh, question to yourself how do my belief systems uh, build up because it is a belief system that makes your life it is not something else which makes your life if you look at how belief systems are made look at uh, this uh, sequence which you will understand when it comes to the subconscious mind so when it comes to the conscious mind the conscious mind is fed through the five senses the ability to see the ability to touch the ability to hear and uh, the taste and things like that whereas the conscious mind how does it translate into the subconscious mind as far as the subconscious mind is concerned it can only take thoughts as the input even the conscious mind whatever you are looking at they are all in some way translated as thoughts that's why you'll find that uh, people with uh, uh visual disabilities people with uh, hearing disabilities people with speaking disabilities irrespective of whichever the five uh, senses channel is close to them one or more channels being close to them they still are very good at the subconscious level in fact in a way they are blessed because conscious mind acts as a filter we tend to see what we look at uh, the world through the conscious mind as the reality and hence we do not allow uh, the subconscious mind to take its own course and be programmed the real beauty of the subconscious mind is that the subconscious mind the only feed for it is thought the mind or the subconscious mind the only thing that can influence it is thinking and this is precisely what we use in uh, meditation or visualization or any of the other techniques uh, that we are going to look at as we uh, go along the subconscious mind based on your repetitive thoughts you must have surely read being from the teaching faculty it's, it's not a bias i am only uh, sharing it for the sake of saving time 70 to 80000 thoughts roughly is the average thoughts we have in a day it is estimated that almost half of them is wasted as neutral thoughts neutral thoughts are thoughts which have no impact somebody is walking or oh, the the bureau is blue in color the canvas that i have in front of me is red in color the person is uh, talking something all these are uh, thoughts which are what are called as neutral thoughts which means if you have potentially 40000 seeds in front of you in a day uh, out of the 80000 seeds which are given to you each seed is potentially capable of becoming a plant and growing into a tree 40000 thoughts are something that you just throw them out because they are neutral thoughts you are not utilizing them at all it's like somebody gives you cash and you straight away flush it it's as simple as that whereas when we are looking at uh, the rest of the 40000 thoughts you will find that the rest of the 40000 roughly about 39000 thoughts or so 
are actually negative thoughts. The negative thoughts, what we have are like, I can't do, I won't do, my fears, my irrational beliefs, things like that. Whenever my mind is not able to factor a logic, it becomes irrational and I put it as negative. And this is what actually creates poor self-esteem in uh, people, poor self-confidence in people. In very simple negative thoughts can be termed as uh, thoughts which are based on lack of hope or based on fear. Only about 500,000 thoughts in a day in our awakening state that we get are considered to be positive thoughts. Positive thoughts are the thoughts which you know like I am capable of doing. I am a good teacher. I am a good professor. I am capable of inspiring students to get the best out of them. And surprisingly, like in a dark room uh, in the middle of the night, all it needs for you to bring light is one simple matchstick. So you don't need 40,000 positive thoughts to neutralize 40,000 negative thoughts. Many times, like one single matchstick, these, uh, even the positive thoughts being just 500 or 1,000 are many times capable of neutralizing the negative thoughts and making them literally go away. And whatever success we have in life today is to a great extent based on what we are able to deploy as the positive thoughts. Let's look at the construct on how belief system is made and why what we are today is based on what our thinking is. The subconscious mind based on thoughts, the predominant thoughts that you have throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, throughout your life from the time you're born till now, becomes your belief system. When you say so-and-so is so-and-so, what uh, Dr. Bruce Lipston was mentioning about perceptions. The perceptions are based on repetitive thoughts. For example, you come across, you know, there are some comedy movies where they say so-and-so person, because he's so-and-so color, will not be wrong. How did it happen? Maybe a joke, but seriously, if you have been repeatedly been uh, besieged by people, uh, who have a specific way of annoying you and all of them seem to have similar constructs physically or otherwise, you'll start thinking that such people have such, we tend to bucket because it's very convenient. When you bucket over a period of time, whether it's about God, whether it's about religion, whether it's about money, whether it's about job, whether it's about nation, whether it's about your neighbor, your repetitive thought becomes, it becomes your belief system. Your belief system is what your worldview is. This is what my worldview. In my view, so-and-so person is good. Why? We cannot justify. Over a period of time, our mind has been regulated, controlled. This is what we call in religious parlance sometimes as brainwashing. This is what uh, people do effectively even to create terrorists because they are repeatedly told from the time they are born to look and think in a specific way where even if you show them anything else, they can, you cannot blame them because they have been programmed. Their mind has been completely brainwashed or mind-washed, you can say. These belief systems, when they solidify further, becomes your attitude. When you say, I hate so-and-so kind of people, I hate this place, or I hate this country, or I hate this community, or I hate this religion, it's an attitude. How did it come? It didn't come overnight for sure. It came over a period of time because of the belief systems that have been built because of the repetitive thoughts, and all of them are fed into your subconscious mind by your conscious mind, and hence, the impact that you have on the subconscious mind to a great extent is regulated by what you do in your awakening state. Though we have five senses, do we really take, understand what it takes for the subconscious mind to be programmed and allow our subconscious mind to be properly programmed so that 
See, normally they always say, begin with end in mind. If I know what kind of life I want to lead, I want to, for example, I want to regulate my mind. I want to experience calmness. If these two have to be done, uh, you can't achieve it overnight for sure. Why? Because this has been built over a period of time by the belief system you have created, the attitude that you have created by the repetitive thoughts that you had. If these attitudes are triggered by a feeling or an emotion, which happens in a specific situation, when someone close to you is involved, the attitude which has been built over a period of uh, time by the thoughts, which becomes a belief system, leads you into action. When it's a mob frenzy, either based on community or religion, it's something that has built up over a period of time. It's not something that is incited at this moment. And normally such actions, results, leads to results which are either desirable or undesirable. Uh, any action cannot produce only acceptable results. They will, even a war, even if you take Mahabharata, the war between Pandavas and Gauravas, even assuming that Dharma was established at the end by Lord Krishna, but so many people had to die. If uh, a desirable result would have been that all of them could accept Dharma based on one single motivational lecture by Lord Krishna, for example, it never happened. So there will always be in any action undesirable results also. If you are aware of the construct of the mind where we looked at conscious mind as a thin layer and then the superconscious being something accessible to us, but we don't. Subconscious is always available to us, but we don't tap into that. Now we understand that the biggest feeder to all these layers is the conscious mind and the biggest feeder which you can use starting from today, starting from now, is your ability to tune your conscious mind to feed the unconscious or the subconscious mind. Let's have one short video I wanted to share with you and then we'll move to the last one or two slides. Let me share the screen here. One second, please. Whether it's David Beckham taking one of his famous free kicks, or whether it's Lewis Hamilton winning the Formula One, or whether it was Steve Jobs about to give one of his famous keynotes, the most underrated skill was this. Visualization, the recreation of images, sounds, and environments before it has happened is one of the most powerful skills in the world. A very powerful meditation and mindfulness practice, visualization has been used for centuries to help prepare the mind, the body, and the consciousness for upcoming challenges, situations, and circumstances. Some of the world's greatest athletes use visualization as a way to prepare for big games, the big day, musicians for their new concerts and tours, and CEOs for their very important meetings. Psychologist Alan Richardson set out to prove the power of visualization through an experiment that I want to share with you today. That's great. Do tell. Richardson gathered a group of basketball players and arranged them into three different groups. The intent of this study was to demonstrate the effectiveness of visualization in how the players converted free throws. Nothing but net. The three groups were as follows. The first group practiced 20 minutes every day. The second group visualized themselves making free throws but didn't participate in practice. The third group did not practice free throws or visualization at all. You don't have to do anything. 
The results were absolutely staggering. The group that only visualized free throws and didn't practice at all showed marked improvement and were nearly as accurate as the ones that practiced for 20 minutes every single day. What? What it showed is that visualization and the recreation of that moment in time allowed people to prepare mentally to the effect of 20 minutes a day of practice. Now, the group that didn't practice or didn't visualize at all naturally regressed. They took a step backward. What this has shown in countless other examples as well is how visualization with action, with practice, can be the formula that we've all been looking for. Often, we get forced into action without visualization and although that really gets us going and that practice really does make us perfect that visualization can start the process with more confidence more conviction and more courage For a short of time, I will not be uh, moving to the debriefing of the video. This uh, video you would have watched, you would have found a lot of insights from that. Let me move on to my last uh, two slides uh, for the day. If you look at one of the constructs of uh, what we call as, see many of us want to experience calmness and many of us want to really regulate our uh, mind. Fundamentally, if you look at it, the entire process, you can look at what is known as uh, even in the old uh, you know, Sanskrit, we have the word called a Sat Sich Ananda, no? Satchidananda, which is nothing but your ability to cross several layers and then look at the absolute uh, Chit or the Ananda or the bliss, which is what finally we all hanker for when you're looking about uh, calmness. It is said that uh, if you look at Chit as the core of our uh, being, not the soul, but the Chit in terms of its uh, ability to provide uh, unlimited uh, consciousness, unlimited calmness, unlimited uh, uh, mind regulation. Uh, there are three layers which actually stops you from moving there. If you really look at it, uh, many of us who are specifically in the teaching field, the buddhi is one of the layer which actually stops us from really attaining calmness because the buddhi is continuously telling you to exhibit what you know. You have learned so much. If I'm going to keep quiet, how can my ego be satisfied? So I want to, the ego is pushing the mind, the mind is pushing the buddhi. The buddhi or the intellect, which is what people visibly see when you open your mouth and talk like what I am doing. If you are impressed with whatever I'm saying, it's the buddhi which I have, which is being shared to you. But what is actually driving it? It's my mind or the manas with the three layers and all those constructs that I have seen. And the manas to a great extent is regulated by my need of the ego. My ego wants to say that, uh, impress them, throw stuff at them that would uh, make them wow, what a lovely learning and things like that. And all these three layers actually are something which you need to cross before you actually can experience calmness or if you can truly uh, regulate the mind. And for you to hit chit or reach chit, which is what provides a real blissful happiness, you know, perennially happy condition. This is where the actual core of the practices actually come in. If you look at what we do to 
regulate mind and experience calmness. In the morning, I was told that many of you had experienced the first masterclass on heartfulness meditation. Meditation is one of the most potent weapons to attain many of the things. Actually, when you looked at some of the videos, Bruce Lipton's video or the other video on visualization, what are they doing? They're teaching you how to feed your subconscious mind with certain programs or with certain scripts. Meditation is the highest form of script. What script are we actually giving? We are giving a divine script. If I have divinity, if you look at the story of Mahabharata, when the option of either having the army of Lord Krishna with him or Lord Krishna without uh, taking up uh, any uh, ammunition arms with him, actually uh, Arjun preferred Lord Krishna just to be Sarathi. And he was very smart because if God is with you, what else do you want? If God is on your side, how can you lose a war? Had he just chosen the Narayani Padai, as they say, you know, the, the entire army of uh, Lord Krishna, in all probability, he might have lost. He was, uh, from the heart, he told, the, his heart told him, maybe he meditated, we don't know. His heart told him that go with God. If God is on your side, how can you lose? When you have divinely thoughts, when your purpose is divinely, when you're looking at things with uh, altruistic way of looking at things, everything else automatically happens. For example, assuming you are a mountain climber, you are able to climb Mount Everest, 29,000 feet or whatever. As you climb to the top of Mount Everest, even before you reach the base camp, assuming you find a gold field, assuming you find a diamond field, all that is already available for you. Yet you will not be satisfied by stopping there because your goal is something much, much higher and bigger. Because the vision at that level, the way you look at the world, I have spoken to a few mountain climbers who have, some of them have even been to Mount Everest top summit. They say that, Prakash, even if I give 5 crores, 10 crores money, I still cannot get that kind of feeling of being there and reaching there. What you call as a pinnacle, the ultimate top. Meditation, you don't need to really have to be a mountain climber. All you have to do is just sit cross-legged or sit in a chair comfortably. Close your eyes. Make an assumption or a presupposition, supposition that the divinity which is present everywhere is present in me too automatically you invoke pranahuti. What is pranahuti? Pranahuti is nothing but the transmission or the divine energy which comes from the source. Pranahuti in very simple terms is a catalyst. It acts as a catalyst to make you go faster towards the cherish goal. When you do that, see I have spoken, I have coached successful CEOs and managing directors of listed companies, large corporates, mid-corporates, several of them. And many of them have tons and tons and tons of money, fancy cars. But whenever I get very close to them, once they get close to me, which many of them do, they all finally, when I go close to them, they say, Prakash, I want to be peaceful. I want to be happy. I come on here, what money? And so you might say that, you know, it's easy for somebody who has enough money to say, but they do say it. Many of us hanker for peace. And this is what yogis found out without physically becoming rich. Even those cases exist. If you take the case of sage Vishwamitra, he was a king. He became a Rajarishi. He meditated, finally became what is known as a Brahmarishi. You look at the case of Buddha. All of us know what happened to him. He was Siddharth, ruling a country. He saw a few instances. He turned inward. He was much more at peace. Had he just been one more king, maybe we wouldn't have spoken about him today. 
Many of the things that happens in meditation is a private affair. It's something that only you will be able to enjoy. Only you will be able to justify. We, at least in heartfulness, we do not speak about giving up your material life. In fact, we say that the more meditation that you do, the better you tend to become in your material life. If you take my own case, for example, I keep writing blogs, I keep writing books. My books are getting published every six months to one year. I come out with a book. I go as a keynote speaker across several platforms. Today, last one year, it's all virtual, like what I'm doing right now. I am sought after in several forums as a speaker. I consult to organizations. More than anything else, I take pride and a lot of uh, happiness in spreading the message of meditation because finally, when you are looking at reality in the mind or experiencing calmness, if this is there, the others will automatically come. If the others are there, this will come or not, we don't know. We have seen many rich people who are going astray in their life, their family going astray, children in the current days getting uh, swayed into drugs and other kind of uh, uh, substances and things like that. Uh, all these are no more taboo. They are freely available. People consume it. And by the time they realize it's already too late in the life. Many of the sessions we do today are actually right from the 10th standard uh, students onwards. Let's catch them in. Let's go, let's, uh, go to the second point where we're looking at role of cleaning. Role of cleaning is what actually helps you to uh, remove the unwanted filth from your conscious mind before it goes and settles in the subconscious mind and becomes a deep impression. In fact, what we do at the end of the day, every day, is sit for about 15-20 minutes and clean off all that filth that has come to our conscious mind through the process of seeing, through the process of talking, through the process of hearing, through the process of smelling, through the process of uh, touching. All these before, it's like a freshly laid uh, cement. If you just touch it as it's laid, you can quickly settle it right. But if you leave it for a two day after you have stepped your foot on it, you will not be able to remove. Likewise, before your conscious mind converts something into a thought, specifically if they are negative ones, thoughts which are going to make you unhappy, thoughts which are going to make you feel uh, destabilized, not being calm, it's better that you clean it off. Cleaning or rejuvenation, what we call is a very simple exercise. It's like taking bath at the end of the day when you feel dirty. Likewise, the conscious mind which gets dirty because of the exposure it has to life. See, not all people whom we meet are positive in nature. We meet people who are toxic. We meet people who are negative. We meet people who are naysayers. We meet people who put us down. All these emotionally tends to hurt us. If I allow it to settle down, the fresh cement then becomes solid solidified, it becomes difficult to shake it up. So the process of rejuvenation, we don't allow the conscious mind to get permanently damaged uh, where it becomes a thought and settles as an impression in my subconscious mind by taking it off through the process of cleaning, keeping the slate clean. I write what is good for me in the slate by the process of meditation. And to sum it up at the end of the day, what I do before I go to bed is connect back to the source through the prayer which I'm very sure in the next few days they will all be sharing with you. With this in mind, uh, what happens is you tend to get a complete uh, grip. I wouldn't say control. You get a grip. Finally, it's all about repetitive practice. They say that even to get muscle memory, you should have practiced something five to 10,000 times before it becomes part of your muscle memory. You ask a cricketer, they would have practiced a stroke 5,000 times, 10,000 10, times in the nets before they can go and execute without a mistake in the match. Likewise, even meditation, 
for that matter any subject that you teach unless you do it repeatedly somebody put it in the chat box practice makes a man perfect keep on practicing what is good for you in the last about an hour i have given you uh, the insights the benefits we started the video on kevin peterson where we spoke about the benefits of your ability to take and regulate your mind he was able to hit balls cricket ball with his eyes closed and then we looked at the construct of the mind through the video by the fourth global gate of heartfulness daji where he spoke about the uh, conscious mind being the thin membrane which stops the subconscious and the superconscious from merging then we went on looked at the various biases that actually stop us from looking at the world for what it is and then we went and looked at bruce lipton's video to understand how the subconscious mind can be programmed by the perceptions that you develop then we looked at the concept of how the belief system build up by the repetitive thoughts we build we looked at one technique uh, video which is called as visualization then we looked at the chit which is the pure bliss which is what we all hanker for being covered by our buddhi which is a necessity for us to continuously express ourselves in the world which is in turn kicked off by the mind or the manas which in turn is regulated by the ego when you are able to handle all this through the process of meditation cleaning and prayer we are in absolute bliss then the world comes calling whatever you want whether it's material spiritual or whatever they all come to you automatically uh, with this i would like to sum up these are my coordinates in case you want to get in touch with me either on social media or through mail or through whatsapp you can make a note of this after this session is over maybe i'll share this ppt also with the faculty team so that they can share it back with you uh, uh right now this session uh, in terms of the content i have covered uh, if you have any questions please take it to the chat box and start uh, putting it out there so that uh, i can answer them i think uh, yeah thank you brother and that is a question already uh, in the chat box yeah i see that what is the difference between manas and chit let's assuming that uh, chit is what is the core of happiness or bliss as they call ananda sat chit ananda you know finally you have to reach bliss and manas is your mind which plays a trance which stops you from exploring happiness so it's a layer that needs to be uncovered before you go to the core of existence i hope i have answered the question there any other questions on the chat box no not it sometimes what happens is we are not sure of what we want in some aspect how do meditation and subconscious practice help see meditation by itself does not give you direct uh, help in this but what happens is it's like it clears off everything that exists between you and you you and you meaning a confused mind and a uh, a clean mind once that is removed your heart automatically is able to point out the answers and answers will start coming from inside whether you are uh, tuning it to subconscious mind through visualization or by meditating what happens is in still waters you can look at the bottom of the lake so your mind gets completely still in this processes so you are able to actually find what you need yoga exercise and meditation is actually useful because uh, 
your body to some some extent will have to cooperate with you while you sit for meditation for half an hour or 40 minutes so that is something that would really be something that you would find even a simple walk in the park in the morning uh, a balanced diet with less of processed food and junk food and all that all that helps what is how to make a person realize that his belief system is not correct don't attempt it it won't work <laughs> i mean there's no point i mean uh, if the world can be changed by talking to someone we would have changed 1 million years ago i have talked how many of you have actually changed i don't know <laughs> what is the effect of multitasking on a thinking process see machines can do multitask humans uh, theory scientists uh, scientists have proven that actually we don't do multitasking we know we do what is known as slicing we move from one to another to another to another we normally rarely do multitasking they are all sequential tasks but when they are done very fast appears to be multitasking machines are capable of doing multitasking because they have multiple cpus we have only one cpu which is our brain so normally multitasking is a misnomer as far as i know so probably we can encourage some of yeah, them yeah. to unmute and talk and uh, yeah yeah i am done so i have also stopped uh, screen share i'll share these ppts with you later you can share it with them. if anybody else wants to voice their opinion talk feel free to unmute sure. yourself so any of them would like to uh, ask any question or interact you can sir how to come out of introvertness sir? open your mouth and talk <laughs> see to give you my own example uh, i am speaking from experience till my last year in degree which was 1983 i was an extreme introvert i will not even uh, speak even if somebody holds a gun to my head you will not believe today you have to hold a gun to my head to make me talk make me stop talking and in uh, our farewell party in the college i remember that i deliberately went and sat in the last row because though we all meet as friends outside in a formal setup like we had arranged in a hotel and we were sitting there uh, uh, my commerce professor i very clearly remember his name is mr ravi he just pointed at me and i was the last person there was nobody at my back so there no not even a way for me to look back and pass on the buck so he said please come here i don't know what it was i went there Sir Prakash, you are going to be the MC or the Master of Ceremonies or Compere for the evening. I said, Sir, impossible. You can rather kill me, but I will not do. He said, No, I don't know what you will do. They are all your friends. Speak. The same thing. Your third guru of Global Heartfulness Guide, Charity Maharaj, told once. You are going to share something good, and assume that they are all your friends. What worse can happen? and what happened is it opened up and after a few minutes of struggle in 1983 in my college uh, farewell party i spoke and uh, i don't know from where it came many people came and asked prakash have you ever done comparing for any program outside the college i said no this is my first uh, experience this is my debut many of them didn't believe like that many of us uh, introversion also introvertness also comes from uh, negative ego you don't want to be rejected by someone as not being good so think that the world is a stage where you want to practice and to get out of being introvert talk to people who are very close stand up do a comedy show or read a paper aloud 
go and deliberately talk to your uh, friend or neighbor who is friendly enough to talk see being introvert is not a bad there are times when you have to introspect you need to keep silent but being an introvert sometimes specifically if you are from the teaching profession does not necessarily help you because students will see that uh, uh, they will see that you are arrogant they will not know you are an introvert so all these videos i have shown they are all all you have to do is uh, google on youtube you will get uh, everything bruce lipton it's available kevin peterson it's available daji's videos my my colleagues friends here uh, are already there they will be able to give you see negative thinking the only way is for you to practice uh, visualization only way is to practice uh, consistent uh, cleaning heartfulness cleaning and a uh, lot of uh, see i one thing i deliberately did after my uh, that farewell in college when my uh, professor told me he gave me an input he said surround yourself with people who are good or rather be with people who mean good to you who will only talk good though i was not able to immediately understand or accept it took me some time but at some point of time i understood the importance of uh, surrounding myself with positive people if i have none i would rather remain alone rather than getting surrounded by negative people and that helped me a lot to get out of brooding and negative thinking to a lot of positive thinking what i am today but i wasn't this uh, uh, 35 years 37 years back that much i can tell you with certainty because i know who i was uh, sister should be closed now since there are no other questions